please read with me verse 11 and 12 of chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. I have become foolish, so you yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you. For in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Father, help us to hear this. Help us to understand the urgency of this text. Father, please show us um, what a treasure the Apostle Paul was and what a treasure that we stand this day because of the apostles that you set before us. In Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Basically, what I'm looking at is apostolic uniqueness. Okay? And that's what Paul deals with in these two verses. Now, we know that in chapter 10, he started rolling through showing us what the spiritual war is. Alright? And how do we fight against it? What suffering is? Grace is sufficient in all of our weaknesses. And he goes through all of this and that the battle is against lofty things raised up. Speculations. Against the true knowledge of Christ. And that is what our battle is. Okay, One of the ways that the enemy has done it. I took you back last week to Zechariah. One of the ways that he does this. This battle comes on. Is let me attack the messenger. If I can discredit the messenger. Then I can by caveat discredit the message. Now it was even more tricky at the time of this. Because there was no New Testament. So you had this group of men that God had set aside, had trained, and had sent forth. All right, And he validated it because they had supernatural abilities. Why? Right now, I can take a person, if they want to say they're a Bible teacher, preacher, or whatever, I can listen to them, compare them to the Scriptures, and if they don't match, which one's lying? Okay? So today I have... A lie detector machine that lays here on the pulpit with. Alright, so that's, that's something I want you to think about. What we're looking at today, and we won't get through it, but it's the unique qualifications of an apostle. The unique qualifications of an apostle. An apostle has three responsibilities. Alright, and we're just going to get one today. Because they are unique in what they do. All right. Now, I can take uh, one of the things about the Apostle Paul or the apostles. Okay, now I'll show this to you. But one of the things about them, they are one of a kind. All right. They, they are not repeatable. And you can't transfer it. The last letter the Apostle Paul wrote was to the person who was going to fill his ministry after he was executed. That's 2 Timothy. And nowhere in there do you see him say, now you are an apostle. Alright? Listen, the true apostles, if, if, if you're really honest with yourself, had an amazing role in the church. Like no other human being has ever had. And yet, today, there is an arrogance that drives some to think they're apostles. Uh, there's even a school in Kansas City that will teach you how to be a prophet. And in the process of this, 
we will discern whether you are an apostle or not. Now, to me, that may be the height of arrogance. I mean, uh, well, that's what's his name down in Waco thought he was Jesus. That might be a little more. But listen, I, we really need to grab this. One of the things that was very frustrating over the last month or so is that as I've been dealing with this, uh, apostles, I realize that there's no way that I can give you everything that I have discovered. Because it is an amazing, absolutely mind-boggling topic. I was reading Linsky, and he made this statement. And when I read it, I thought, well, that seems awful brass. But as I began dissecting apostles, Linsky was right. Here's this quote. To not understand this, you will have an incomplete understanding of the history of redemption. Unquote. An incomplete understanding of redemption if I don't understand apostleship? Yeah, you will. Chief cornerstone was who? Well, who's the foundation? The apostles. Okay? We stand on that foundation. If you do not understand the apostles, guess what? You've got a flaw in your redemption. Because i got news for you. Without the apostles, you and I don't get saved. It's that simple. Without the apostles, you and I don't know what church is. It's that simple. And I don't care whether you're Jew or Gentile. Two words you'll find in the New Testament. Apostolos, that's the noun. Apostoleto is the verb. The verb means to send. Okay, the, it's used 80 times in the New Testament. The noun means messenger, a delegate, an ambassador. And it is primarily used, the noun, in the New Testament, speaking of 14 men. Only 14. Okay? Matthew chapter 10, verse 2, the 12. Listen to what I said. The 12. Okay? In Acts chapter 1, verse 26, Matthias. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, Paul. That's the only time that the noun is used to speak of an individual, it was those 14 times. All right? So, when I study something like this, I have to take it back to historically. Historically. Because, see, we use things in the New Testament that you and I just look at. It. It's sort of like, you. I hear a word today that drives me, it just, it's, it, it just, I don't know. It's a pet peeve, maybe. Okay? That... We are mentoring one another. Okay? The Bible says we are discipling. Okay? Mentoring is when I show somebody how to change the oil in a motorcycle. Discipling is when I 
do when I try to make you walk godly? I'm thinking there's a difference. What do you think? Because I can show you how to change the oil in a motorcycle. But I have to direct you by the Holy Scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit to get you to walk godly. Okay, and sometimes <laughs> it don't work. Okay, whereas you change the oil in one motorcycle, you change the oil in all of them, pretty much. All right, so I go back historically, and I wanted to look at this at the time of Christ. All right, at the time of Christ, the language spoken, the written would have been Greek or Hebrew. Okay, the language spoken in Israel would have been Aramaic. All right, so the Aramaic equivalent to apostolos is salia, S-A-L-I-A. H, Salia, okay? This is probably the term that Jesus would have spoke to his, to call them apostles, he would have said Salia, all right? Its meaning becomes critical for the New Testament and a true study of the New Testament. The New Testament was written in the Greek. It was not written in Arabic. When Jesus is speaking and he calls someone an apostle, the word that he would say would be salia. In rabbinical Judaism, at the time of Christ, they clearly understood this. And it was the function of a representative. And and it's hard for us to get a handle on it. Uh, I see the definition of a proxy. An ambassador is a salia. But it's derived from Semitic law, all right, which you get from the Mishnah. The Mishnah is basically uh, rabbinical writings for interpretations of the law. And it always concerned messengers or government, all right? A quote from the Mishnah, a man's agent is like himself, unquote. A man's shalia is like the man who's sinning. It's identical. So the messenger becomes the proxy of the one who has given him the commission. Okay, the closest thing that you and I are going to get to understanding this is when the United States sends an ambassador. He speaks for the United States government. You might as well have the president of the United States standing there. We will have sometimes an executor of an estate. All right. There was, sometimes they're court ordered. Sometimes they're appointed by the, the deceased. And they speak for that individual. You see it in the scriptures in 2 Samuel 10 verses 4 and 6. Uh, David had sent some of his salias. And they had been embarrassed. And David told them to grow, cut off half their beard and half their hair. And David let, let it grow back. Another time it is used, 1 Samuel 25, 40. David sends two. 25, 40. He sends two representatives to Abigail to ask her to be his wife. They were speaking for David. All right? Another thing you need to understand, it doesn't really matter about the personality of the messenger. And it doesn't really matter about the one who's sinning. 
It's just that that person is a spokesman for that messenger. Now think about this for a second. So when you start dissecting back through this, what you have translated to you as an apostle is because it was written in the Greek language. But when it was being spoken, it was being spoken in the Aramaic. That was the language of the day. Salia to the Jews means this is a person acting with full authority for another. Okay? So when Jesus makes this statement, I want you to think about it now that you know what a salia is. Okay? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. Wow, it has a different impact, doesn't it? That's how John's Gospel 13, 20. Okay? So, in addition to the 12 and Matthias and Paul, the New Testament uses it a couple of other times. Let me show this to you because sometimes we forget. If you back up to chapter 8 of this letter, verse 23. As for Titus, he is my partner, my fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are, the New American Standard translates it, messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. You know what is this in the Greek? Apostolon. They are representatives of who? The church. The church. Okay. Who sent them? When it came to Titus and these two other gentlemen. Remember they're coming to get the the offering for Jerusalem. Who sent them? The church did. Okay. I have 14 others that are different. Okay. Let me show you some other times that messenger apostolos is used. Okay, just write them down. You don't have to go look at all of these. We'll be here forever if we do. Acts chapter 14, verse 4 and verse 14, we see Barnabas. He was sent out by the church in Antioch. All right. Romans chapter 16, verse 7, Andronicus, Junus, and some others. Are messengers of the church. Galatians chapter 1, verse 19, James, the Lord's brother. Philippians 2, verse 25, Epaphroditus. They are all called messengers, but they are all called messengers of the church. They were all apostles of the church. Unlike the twelve, Matthias and Paul. Alright? Listen, those twelve, Matthias and Paul, were commissioned, ordained, sent by Christ Jesus Himself. Okay? Now, there's some 
things that you have to understand about the qualifications, the uniqueness of this qualification. These that I just gave you, Barnabas, Epaphras, and some of these others, Jesus' half-brother, were chosen by the churches. They served the church. They were authorized representatives. It's When I go to Russia and teach, or Azerbaijan and teach, I am being sent by this church. I am a representative of this church. Okay? The signs that you see in chapter 12, verse 12, were proof that these were Christ-sent apostles. They were performed by the Apostle Paul at Corinth. Okay, now go back to your text again. It's going to end up being more of a Bible study than probably what you're ready for. The signs of a true apostle were performed. Okay, that's passive voice is the verb. And everybody says, well, hallelujah. Okay, when it's a passive voice in the original language, what you have is, is the emphasis is now that it was God's power working through Paul enable him to perform signs. Paul wasn't a magician. Okay? The apostles of Christ were conduits of divine power. Okay? Now remember what I just said. You make sure you get that. The apostles of Christ, not the apostles of the church, the apostles of Christ were conduits of God's divine power. And you know what's kind of amazing about this little whole situation that we're dealing with with the Corinthian letters? The Corinthians had saw firsthand the signs of the Apostle Paul. And yet that should have been another reason to defend him, and they did not defend him. So you add, Paul even added here writing this, besides the signs, there was wonders and miracles. Okay. And the Bible lists several of these signs. They're, they're basically characteristic of God's sent apostles. All right. And I'll get into that when I look at the unique power. But you need to understand, right now here in Castle Rock, there's five guys calling themselves apostles. All right. Right here in Castle Rock. And you know what? It don't fit. It don't fit. All right, these qualifications, unique qualifications, you're going to need to write fast because I've got, I've made sure I covered my rear end on this. I've got more verses on this than you can ever dream about, and there's no way I can go to every one of them, so I'm going to highlight some of them. Number one, unique qualification of an apostle of Christ is that they are chosen by God. Chosen by God. When the Lord spoke to Annas in Damascus, speaking to Annas of the Apostle Paul, the Lord said, He is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Acts 9.15 And you know what? That freaked Paul out. It did. Well, and it would you too. I mean, if you're cruising up to Damascus to arrest Christians and Jesus blinds you on the road, you probably have a different view on life. Okay. In Galatians chapter 1, 
Verse 15. The Apostle Paul. But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me, so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. Okay? You look at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not sent for men, nor through the agency of man, but through Christ Jesus and God the Father, who raised Him from the dead. Okay? He didn't get sent by a seminary. Okay? He didn't even get sent by a church. You see him use this in 1 Corinthians 1.1, called by God. In 2 Corinthians 1.1, called by God. In Romans 1.1, called by God. Ephesians 1.1, called by God. Colossians 1.1, called by God. 1 Timothy 1.1, called by God. Who called Paul? You understand, it wasn't Peter, it wasn't the other eleven. Had nothing to do with it. It wasn't Barnabas. It was God said, come here. And he reminded Timothy over and over through his two letters to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2.7 and 2 Timothy 1.11, that he was in awe of the fact that God had chosen him. You know what? I had a conversation this week dealing with the spiritual condition of of our community. And and the young man, I give him credit, had a, 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 a great insight. You know what he said? There's no desperation for God here. And I was like, dude, there's no desperation for God in this country. Okay? Which lends itself to the fact we're not in awe on the fact we're saved. That should freak us out. There shouldn't be a moment you just sit there and go, wow. Dude, can you believe it? I'm so glad he doesn't make mistakes. Paul went to the grave in awe that God had chosen him just for salvation. We can see, and, I, and I've shown you this, I'll, I'll show you a couple more places, that there were some other men who were chosen by God to be apostles. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. And God has appointed in the church, first what? Apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healings, help of administrations, so on and so forth. So there were messengers in the church. Okay? So I, I want you to, you can look at Acts 10, 41 too if you want to, but um, I'm not going to. But you see that God has these men. So a foundational truth of an apostle is God chosen. Second, another qualification. That is quite unique. The apostles were personally appointed by the Lord Christ Jesus. Okay? John's Gospel, chapter 15, 
This is part of what they call the upper room discourse. Starts in 13, goes through 17. Chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. All right, do you understand that? Those men that are up there. Now, I want you to understand, what point in Christ's ministry are we? He hasn't been arrested. So who's in the upper room? The original 12. Do you understand what I just said? The original 12. All right, just so you're keeping up. You also see it in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 13. All right? But I do want to show you something that I found fascinating. Go to John's Gospel again, chapter 6, 70 and 71. John's Gospel 6, 70 and 71. Jesus answered them, okay, Peter's confession of faith, okay, Jesus answered them, did I myself not choose you, the twelve? Right? Look what else it says. And yet, one of you is a devil. Okay? Do you, do you understand that? Do you understand that when he says, I have chose you to be my disciples and my apostles? Now, I'm going to show you the difference here in a minute. Okay? But you, see, you understand that? Okay, you know who's in that group when he says that? Judas is there. Do you understand that God chose Judas? All right? I mean, it starts getting... Anyway. Paul to the Ephesian elders, speaking of his apostleship, 20, Acts 20, verse 24, and then speaking of his redemption in Acts 26, 16, uses the same terminology. Christ chose me. I was chosen to bring the message to the Gentiles. Even to the Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 5. He says, Christ chose me to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, I was not sent by men. Christ chose me. To the Corinthians, he repeats it in 1, 1 and 1, 1, whether it's 1st or 2nd Corinthians. He wants to get it up on front. Why? Because, listen, brothers and sisters, at the writing of the New Testament, you couldn't validate. A guy could come in with a song and dance. What had happened to the Corinthian church that Paul was mad about? People had come in with a song and dance. And they'd had no way to prove. And they had come in and said, you're not an apostle, Paul. And he says, yet the signs of an apostle were done among you. You wouldn't even defend me. That's its uniqueness. I mean, I can give you more. You want to know how unique it is? Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, Colossians 1.1. 1, 1. Go through them all. When Paul writes, well, how does he start it? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul, an apostle called by God. 
I mean, I think it was like, man, can you believe? Can you believe? All right. So we know that God sovereignly chooses and they are personally appointed by Christ himself. You understand that, right? Now, listen, I want you to make sure you get that. Christ himself chooses them. It's personal. You don't get a letter from heaven. Hey, he wants me to be an apostle. Okay? You don't get that. He visibly, right in front of you, says, you're my instrument. Okay? Which brings me to the third. They have to be eyewitnesses of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Okay? Let me uh, take you on a little adventure. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 1. This is the upper room. Jesus has ascended. Okay, I'm going to try to help you here a little bit. All right. Peter at this time stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 persons was gathered there. And he said, brethren, the scripture has been fulfilled by which the Holy Spirit foretold from the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in the ministry. Now this man acquired a field for the price of his wickedness, And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and his intestines gushed out. And it became known to all living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language, that field was called Hakalidim, a field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it. Okay, what just happened there? Okay, that's the suicide of Judas. Okay, you know what that means? Did Judas witness the resurrection? Nope. Remember, to be an apostle of Christ, you're called by God. Okay, and you're appointed by Christ. And you must be witness to the resurrection. Judas never saw the resurrection. Many are called, few are Chosen. Okay, if you look at that text a little farther down, 21. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John. Until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become witness with us of his resurrection. You know what that is? Matthias. Matthias. All right. Now, the big thing shows up and says, wait a minute. Paul was not involved in Jesus's earthly ministry. Okay. So how can he be an apostle? I thought you would never ask. First Corinthians chapter nine. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Chapter 15, verse 8. 
15, verse 8. And last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Okay? Acts tells us that Paul saw the resurrection three other times, the resurrected Christ. You can go look these up yourself. Corinthians 18, 9 and 10, 22. Uh, just don't. There's three other times in Acts 18, verses 9 and 10, Acts 22, 17 to 21, and Acts 23, 11. Okay? So what I want you to see is, all right, they, to be an apostle, you're called by God. You're appointed by Christ and you have seen the resurrected Christ. All right. Which brings me to the fourth thing. What? You must have received the gospel from direct revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles that I talk to will tell you that they are still receiving revelations. Okay. No other men have taught them. All right, now then, I, I can kind of go through this really quick. I, it, let's be realistic. John's Gospel, chapters 13 through 17, who's he teaching? The 12. And Matthias is there too. All right? In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20, 17 through 19, and Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem. He took the twelve disciples aside to them on the way up and said, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes and condemned to death. They will hand him over the Gentiles to mock and scourge him and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. What is he doing there? He is teaching them what is about to happen. Okay. What did he do with his disciples? He taught them. They received the gospel from him. You understand, the New Testament ain't written. All they had was the Old Testament. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's, that's good. Alright? Also, there was 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. Okay? Acts chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 3. In those 40 days, what did Jesus do? He taught his disciples. Alright? Now then, Paul did not set under Christ's earthly ministry, his earthly teaching. But Paul received the gospel directly from Christ. He was taught for three years in the desert. By who? By Christ. All right? In Galatians, we'll go back to Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me was not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? The message that I preach to you, I get from man. I read this book and I tell you what it said. You know, people say, well, do you hear from God? Every time I read his Bible. But I have never heard an audible voice. I don't never, we didn't walk down the bike trail together and discuss theology. All right? You can also see this in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 25. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, speaking of the resurrection. Jesus explained it to him in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 and 5. Okay? Fifthly, an apostle were the foundations of the church. Ephesians chapter 2. Remember, the 
cornerstone, Jesus Christ. That's Matthew 16, 18. Got it? He's the cornerstone. Then Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Okay? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. We find that the apostles are there for the strengthening of the saints for the work of ministry. And they began, think about this for a second, they were there at the very beginning of essential for the church. Okay? These 14 men that were called apostles, one was disqualified, committed suicide. Okay, so we got 13 apostles, and they were foundational for the church. The church exists today because of the foundation of those 13 men. Listen. Today, brothers and sisters, we're 2,000 years out. Okay? Do we really need to continually lay the foundation? Now, the other thing that you got to be understanding, because when we'll look at the unique power, uh, is that they didn't have the Bible to validate who sent them or what was being sent. After God gave the Word, the New Testament, okay, that replaced the need for apostles. Oh, how can you say that? I thought you'd never ask. Second Peter chapter one, verses 16 through 19. This is Peter, who was a apostle. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father. Such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Stop right there. What's Peter talking about right there? The Mount of the Transfiguration. Okay, remember when he's up on the mountain? And they were yeah, we, we should build some altars here. Just stay. Okay, I mean, you know, and everybody laughs at Peter for saying that. I'm like, dude, that's braver than what I'd have said. I'd have just been trying to dig a hole and hide. Okay. Remember, Elijah and Moses are standing there with him. Okay. So, I mean, you know, and we, they, they heard God's voice. Okay. That's pretty spectacular. Okay. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. All right. Look what it says. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which we would do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day's dawn and the morning stars arise in your heart. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by the act of human will but by men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke for God. You know what he just said there? Signs, wonders, and magic tricks. 
don't hold up to that book. That book is of greater value in the darkness than anybody doing a trick. You got that? Why? Do you understand what he just said there? I have this book to make sure of everything. I don't need anything else. I don't need a magic trick. I don't, you know what? Bring me back from the dead and they will believe. What did Jesus say? You have the prophets. Even if I raise someone from the dead, it will not have an effect. Think about it. He was raised from the dead and look at what we treat him now. All right? But I have the word. I have the word. We heard this utterance made from heaven and when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word. Okay? I have the word of God now. More sure to which we would do well to pay attention to. When we have the word, guess what? The duties, the ministry of the apostles is done. Okay? I want you to think about it for a second. Who wrote the New Testament? Apostles or those who were very intimate to the apostles? Think about it. It's not hard. Matthew. Luke. He wasn't an apostle. John was. Peter was. Paul was. You see that? But then you have Luke. James was not an apostle. Mark was not an apostle. But who did they hang out with? I mean, James was only the Lord's half brother. And he kept telling Jesus every day, mom liked you better. Okay. All right. So you look at that or or you have Luke, the good doctor who hung out with Paul. Wrote the book of Acts. So, So I want us to think about these things because these guys laid the foundation that you and I stand on these years later. The last thing is they have a unique ministry. Why? Because they were discipled by Christ. Remember, these are my disciples. Now you are my Apostles. Why? I trained you. Now you're my direct representations of me. They were discipled by Christ. Look at all of them. You can go to Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 14. Um, I think the greatest thing is all of them were models of godliness. I mean, they, they just... Models of godliness. You can see it in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, 1 Corinthians 4, 16, 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. I'll close with that one. I want us to understand the uniqueness of these men. They are amazing men. 1, 6. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They became imitators of the apostles. You know what it should be our goal? 
to be imitators of the apostles. Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, and he said, the things that you have heard, the things that you have learned, the things that you have seen, do these things. That's good stuff. That is good stuff. That's why when I hear someone say, well, I'm an apostle. You're a moron. And that is as loving as I'm going to say it. No, you're not. When did you see the resurrected Christ? Okay? I mean, that's all I have to do. When did you, when have you sat directly at the feet of Jesus Christ and Him teach you? When did that happen? Did you get a YouTube thing of it? Try it. That's the kind of stuff that I want you guys to remember when you hear this. Because it's like I said, they're here in Castle Rock. And they are brass. <laughs> and I'll deal with them. Okay? There's a lot to being an apostle. And they are very, very, very unique in their qualifications. Alright? And I've laid them out for you. I've given you six things that you need to understand about an apostle. And I'm not done. Okay, because the six that I just gave you uh, just are the, the start of this. Because there's some other things. And then in a couple of weeks, we'll get into the signs of wonders and miracles. Their unique powers. Okay? This is urgent that you know this. They were the foundation of your and my redemption. And I need to understand how valuable they were to us. And it helps us. When you also look at the fact that they were a representation of the one who sent them. Okay? And that's the mindset that was written in the New Testament. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing, these amazing 13 men. Father, uh, you're stunning in that you constantly choose the weak to overthrow the strong and you take the foolish to confound the wise. And yet, we should all see that as the fact that uh, you don't share your glory. There's no one can take account for this. There's no one can say, look at what I've done. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done. Thank you, my God and my Father, that you saved us. Father, I have to agree that there is no desperation for you in this country, in this community. Father, I pray that we who are here will be desperate for you. We'll be overwhelmed for you. And that, Father, that we will have the same perspective as the Apostle Paul, an awe of our salvation and the fact that you will use even us. Thank you, my King, for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and the time that you've allowed me to spend with him. Father, I pray. Pray that we will all grow, and we will teach, and we will reach, and we will walk as the apostle to the Gentiles. In Christ's name, amen.